Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you tuned in to listen to this. We're going to talk about today, Save a Tree. Now, let me tell you right from the jump, this is not an environmental activism type of message. Uh, it's not directed that towards that at all. In fact, as a student of the Scriptures, I'm not saying I'm not concerned about the environment. I'm not concerned about different things. Uh, to some degree, I, I am a little bit, but nowhere near where the popular public opinions tend to lead. I'm not concerned that the earth is all of a sudden going to turn into some type of global warming uh, or anything else. You know, back in the book of Genesis, after God had destroyed the world by flood and Noah and his wife, their sons and their wives remained on the earth. God made a promise in Genesis 8, 22, while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So that's again, Genesis 8 and verse 22. So I'm not at all going to be talking about in this podcast that you got to become a tree hugger. What I am talking about is going to make itself clear as we look at some scriptures. And one of the areas that I want to start in is a time of apostasy among the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is a prophet as they're going into Babylonian captivity because of their transgressions. And one of the messages that Jeremiah reveals to the children of Israel in Genesis, or not Genesis, sorry, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, is thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departed from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath and the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So here are contrasting points. The one that trusts in man is like being in the desert, and the heat of the desert comes and brings about desolation. Whereas the one who trusts in the Lord, Jeremiah's trying to get Israel to understand as a nation, as a people, if you trust in the Lord, your hope is in the Lord, you will be like a tree planted by the waters. Or here he doesn't use like, he doesn't use that, but obviously uh, he's speaking uh, in, in such terms uh, because people aren't literally trees, but giving that illustration, like a tree planted by the waters. The heat comes and that tree can still be fruitful. In fact, doesn't at all bear the burden of the heat as those whom have no water. Uh, here in El Paso, we live in the desert, and water is scarce, and the heat is there. We, we are 
in our triple digit season uh, right now. And boy, does it get nice and toasty uh, outside. I personally do not have any grass uh, on the property of my home. Uh, one of the reasons I do not is because the difficulty that comes about with trying to maintain that grass, trying to water it, and trying to keep it fertilized. And in the heat of the day, uh, it just it just dries up very, very fast. That, that sun is scorching uh, heat. Uh, I, I get this illustration. Understand it. You know, if you are a tree and you're sitting next to a river, a lake, and the roots are constantly getting water, the heat doesn't affect that tree like a tree out in the middle of the desert. And people, don't trust in man. When you trust in man, you're not like that tree planted by water. So there's that illustration. In the book of Psalms, it starts off in verses Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So you see that illustration again. The person who looks to the Lord. Here, the, the point is not just in trust, but you delight in the law of the Lord, meditate in His law, law, then you're like that tree planted by the waters. Another psalm, Psalm 92, 12 through 15 says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree and shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So here the, the righteous, like the, seed, like the cedar trees in Lebanon or the palm trees, the cedar trees in Lebanon were renowned in their day. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord, you know, if you're to New Testament illustrate that, the house of the Lord is the church, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Uh, they bring forth fruit even in old age. Uh, as I get older, I can appreciate that. Uh, how about you? Do you, you know, we're, we're looking at, uh, at ourselves here, right? Do we want to be trees in the desert or trees by the water? Trees in the desert or trees in the courts of the Lord? And then it all comes down to bearing fruit. And that's what our lesson really is going to be about, saving a tree, talking about the fruit that is produced uh, from that tree. Now, when we look at the Bible, the imagery concerning the trees isn't always just, you know, the trees planted by the water. The other side of that illustration carries weight as well. What about the tree that doesn't bring forth fruit? In Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 9, he came in all the country about Jordan, this is talking about John the baptizer, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized with him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So ooh, think about this. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. I mean, you're not talking about trimming a tree here. You're talking about taking that puppy down. Well, what kind of tree is to be hewn down and cast in the fire? The tree that brings not forth good fruit. And the Old Testament, similar imagery is used in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet like unto Jeremiah. A similar time period, um, Babylonian captivity. Uh, the children of Israel are in error. I mean, when you read the first three chapters of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel had a difficult task. Go and speak to a people who aren't going to listen to you. Now, I feel that way a lot of times, but it's not as bad as it was in Ezekiel's day. I, I mean, at least there are people that I study with and talk with that I get to see fruit in. Uh, and I have to remind myself of that. Sometimes I my head starts to hang down a little bit, and I think, you know, what... what? What am I doing all this work for? In fact, one of the things that uh, brought about this lesson for me is, is I was studying personally and considering where I put forth my efforts as an evangelist. And I was thinking about, you know, all the time that I put in. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, I measured the time that I spend uh, working. And this isn't every week, but I was just monitoring uh, a little bit of my time, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here clocking 70 hours plus and doing the Lord's work, and then I stepped back for a moment and said, where is the fruit uh, in this? I'm out going door to door trying to set up Bible studies. I've hit thousands and thousands of doors here in El Paso during the spring uh, time, and, and uh, I don't know the exact number, but I've hung a lot of door flyers, rung a lot of doorbells, have a podcast coming up the first Thursday of July where you're going to hear from one of the brethren here, Scott Hamilton. He went out with me one of the times. Another brother that you've already heard a podcast from, if you're listening to this, Billard, he and I went out. And and we're out trying to set up Bible studies, trying to help people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the eternal life to come. And it's just not being very fruitful, not very being very productive. I've also looked at other areas uh, wherein I, I put a lot of time forth, you know, ways that I teach, teaching and writing articles and different things. And in some areas, I, I've just recognized, you know, I'm just kind of wasting time. Uh, it's, it's not very productive. Uh, it's not bringing forth fruit. Well, uh, I thought about some of these scriptures, and while it's not the intent of my lesson, but the direction I was going in my own personal Bible study is, you know, wherein there is not fruit, I need to cut that off. I need to look to other ways uh, to be productive. Say, for example, this podcast, it's growing. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm glad that you you listen to this. You're one of the reasons I will continue to doing this podcast. And I will measure it from time to time. Is it fruitful? Are people learning? Now, let me tell you what what's different about me doing a podcast, maybe from other people, 
that you might know. When I measure the fruit, I'm not looking at how many people listen. I'm looking at how many people are learning. So if you're listening to these podcasts and you're learning something from them, I'd like to hear from you. I want to know that the work is productive, that it's fruitful. Otherwise, it's like we're talking about. It's like a tree that doesn't bring forth fruit. But what do you do at some point with a tree that doesn't bring forth fruit when you're expecting fruit from it? You cut it down, right? So as I was studying all these things, I'm, I'm coming across this. And, 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 and Ezekiel 15 was one of the first areas that I went to. I kind of remembered uh, when, when I was teaching through the book of Ezekiel, this chapter, uh, Ezekiel 15, 1 through 8, says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work, or will men take a pen of it to hang any vessel thereon? Behold, it is cast in the fire for fuel. The fire devoureth both the ends of it, and the midst of it is burned. Is it meat for any work? Behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. How much less shall it be yet for any work when the fire hath devoured it and is burned? Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, as the vine tree among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so will I give the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will set my face against them. They shall go out from one fire, and another fire shall devour them. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I shall set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they have committed a trespass, saith the Lord God. So two things from this. When I was studying this, in connection to what I'm just talking about to you, I thought, man, I want to keep working because I don't want people that I come in contact with to be like Israel, to just be useless wood cast into the fire. On the other hand, uh, when we're thinking about an application of this lesson, when we evaluate ourselves, not, not just from the standpoint of the work that we're, you might be doing for the Lord, but you yourself, are you useless wood? You know, are you just fuel for the fire? Man, that is powerful uh, illustration that Ezekiel gave. And I thought about Ezekiel. Here, Ezekiel is being told, go talk to this firewood. <laughs> I mean, I know how discouraging it feels to me sometimes when I'm putting forth every ounce of energy that I have into trying to help people uh, know the Lord and obey Him and, and uh, find and, and head towards eternal life. But I'm not in Ezekiel's day. What it would be like to know I'm going to go forth and put forward the same level of work. And Ezekiel had more challenge than I do. My wife's not taken from me. And the Lord says, go work anyway. Uh, the challenges Ezekiel faced were huge. I mean, it makes me sometimes when I start to think negative, makes me feel like an idiot. Uh, and Ezekiel, Ezekiel, listen, go preach to the firewood. They're not going to change. They're still going to be consumed, but go preach to them anyway, all right? What fruit is there in firewood other than the warming of people by the fire or cooking, and then it's consumed and it's gone, right? Like very short-lived. And, and that illustration there in Ezekiel 15, when you think about yourself, I, I don't want to. How about you? Do you want the Lord to look at you as firewood? I mean, how terrible for the creator of all the ends of the earth who says to us that he wants to be our father, Jesus Christ who wants to be our savior. If they look at us and all they see is firewood, that's terrible. 
Well, how do you keep them from looking at you that way? You got to be fruitful. You got to be fruitful. See, the thing is, you as a tree do not need to perish. And that's not God's desire. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, 30 through 32, it says, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. There it is, folks. You don't have to be the tree that perishes. When Jesus used these points of teaching, it's in a context of, of repentance. And you should be familiar with verses 1 through 5. Recently talked about it in a podcast, but I'm, I'm going to repeat it for those of you that just might be tuning in for the first time, or maybe you missed the podcast where we talked about Luke 13, 1 through 5. But let's look at Luke 13, 1 through 9. It says, There were present that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said to them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So if you recall from the last time we looked at this text, Jesus is talking to those who think that bad things happen to bad people. And that's the reason they happen. And, and he says, no, no, that's not the case. But look to yourself, right? Except ye repent, if you're a sinner, except you repent, you shall perish. And he you know, repeated that, Luke 13, 3, and then 5. And then from that lesson of repentance, in Luke uh, 13 and verse 6, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it to the ground? And he answered and said to them, Lord, let alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. So look at our Lord's mindset here and understand it a little bit, right? The tree that's not bringing forth fruit, it's not immediately cut down. It's put forth some effort to try to save it. That's, that's why we're talking about save a tree. Put forth some effort to try to save it. But there's a point where if it doesn't bear fruit, it's useless. It's not like keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And when you look at the pattern of teaching in the New Testament, you look at Matthew chapter 10, for example, when Jesus sends out the disciples or Luke 10, where he sends out uh, the 70 to teach uh, and, and a commission to Israel to preach to the children of Israel. In both those contexts, if you go into that city and they receive you not, shake the dust from your feet and move on. It's not stay there until somebody listens. It's move on. It's time to let them go. You need to understand our Lord says there has to be work done to try to save, but it's not a continual effort. It's a shot. Give them a chance. But if nothing comes about from that opportunity, 
move on. Now let's think about ourselves as trees, our, as creation. When God created us, He didn't create us to be fruitless trees. He didn't create us to be evil. In Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Everything was good in the beginning. In Ecclesiastes 7.29, Solomon says, Lo, this have I found. God made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Mankind created upright and then decides we're going to find another course. Back to Jeremiah for a moment. And Jeremiah 2.21 says, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? God said, you know what? I planted you as my people, talking to Israel. You were good. They were intended to be fruitful, productive, but they turned away from that. It is your choice. It is my choice what kind of fruit we're going to bring forth, good or evil. In Matthew 12, 33, it says, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. What are you? What are you when the Lord looks at you and whether or not you're producing righteousness or unrighteousness? What are you? And why does it matter? Now, here's where we need to isolate a point. If you're outside of Christ, you're not a fruit-bearing tree. You may do good works, but it's not going to bring forth fruit because you need to be in Christ to bring forth good fruit, okay? It's like you're a tree outside the boundaries. You're doing nothing. You need to be replanted. You need to be planted in the Lord's vineyard. In John 15, I want you to think about what Jesus teaches in verses 1 through 11. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same shall bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit." so you shall be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. He's talking to the disciples, also known as his apostles, but the point is valid. You are not bringing forth fruit if you're outside of Christ. It's a whole other Bible study to talk about getting into Christ. I encourage you to contact me so we can study if, if you're not in Christ. You know, yeah, there's quick verses that you could talk about. You could talk about how faith and baptism put you into Christ. Galatians 3, 
26 through 29, but there's more to it than that. And I'd want to talk to you at length about where you are in your Bible study process to figure out how we need to get you to where you need to be. That being said, back to our lesson. You got to be in Christ to bear fruit. You know, if you take somebody outside the Lord and then somebody in the Lord, a Christian, non-Christian, and they both go out and they do the exact same biblical good work. Let's just say something that's real easy. That person's the good Samaritan type of an individual of Luke 10, uh, 26 and following, 26 to 39. The non-Christian, the one outside of Christ, does the exact same thing as the one in Christ. The one in Christ is bearing fruit because he's in Christ. The other is not. That's the point of Luke 15, 1 through 11. Your works are useless outside the Lord because you can't work your way to heaven. You're in Christ. You're on the right path. Your works under righteousness, glorification of the Father, etc., etc. You're outside of Christ. Your works are under the devil because you're a child of the devil because you're a sinner. 1 John 3 and verse 8. You're bringing forth fruit to unrighteousness. Even though it's the same exact work, that's how important this subject matter is to be in Christ. Now, when we look at the scriptures, fruit inspection is significant, not just works. Uh, I, I've taught this for many, many years. Good works tell you something. Yes, no doubt. But when you're looking at the difference between good and evil, the Lord wants you to be a fruit inspector, not a work inspector. In Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 20, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. So think of a false prophet. They, they use, when you read 2 Peter chapter 2 or the book of Jude, they use great swelling words. They hold people in admiration, 2 Peter 2, 17, uh, etc. And outwardly, like when you read Matthew 23 about the religious leaders in the first century, outwardly they may appear righteous unto men. They may be doing, quote unquote, what appear to be good works, but their fruits corrupt. So Jesus says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Notice he doesn't say you shall know them by their works. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. I hope you heard that. I hope you think about that. Uh, here recently, uh, my youngest son came home and said where he works, they did an, an internal audit. So they had somebody evaluate him is what they were calling an internal uh, audit. Uh, I, want, I want to borrow that, that thought for a moment. But rather than someone else in, investigating you, and I know Matthew 7, 15 through 20 is about looking at other people. What about you look at yourself? In the context of the Lord's Supper and not partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily, in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, 31, Paul tells the Corinthians, for if you would judge yourselves, we should not be judged. So judge yourself so that you're not condemned. We have to perform internal audits. We have to look at ourselves. We have to say, what does my fruit say? Right? You could almost make a song out of that. I have a little tune playing in my mind 
uh, what does the fruit say? You know, uh, hey, think about this. In Ephesians 5, 9 through 11, the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what's acceptable in the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. What does the fruit say? What does it say about you? Think about the contrast of the sinful versus the spiritual. In Romans 6, 21 and 22, talking to Christians in Rome, not non-Christians, Christians in Rome, and the context, going back to uh, verse 3 uh, and, and up through verse 20, is talking about conversion there that they've already gone through. And he asked them to evaluate, Romans 6, 21 and 22, what fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit and the holiness and the end everlasting life. Well, as you go into chapter 7, he's talking about the law of Moses being done away with in Christ, the law being put uh, uh, dead that we could be married to another. In Romans 7 verse 5, in that context, says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit in the death. Now, you and I were not under the law of Moses I've never been under the law of Moses. You've not been under the law of Moses. We didn't live during that time period. Uh, and maybe people have tried to subject you to being under parts of the law of Moses. That's wrong. You go read the book of Galatians, taking people back to the law of Moses is a backwards wrong step. Uh, but Paul and some of the people in Rome, uh, they were alive at the time when the law of Moses was in effect. And those carnal works that were under the law of Moses, because Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 contrast the carnality that was under the law of Moses versus the spirituality that's in Christ. And the carnality, the carnal law, worked in their bodies to bring forth fruit unto death. So you measure that. The carnal, the physical, brings forth death. The spiritual life, looking back on your past, the application you could make is when you were a sinner, what good did your works do? Or now, if you're not in Christ and you're not faithful in Christ, that being not just in Christ, but faithful in Christ, what fruit do you have? Um, if you stand before the Lord in the judgment day and he's evaluating you as his tree or not his tree, and you're not productive. And by that, listen, that's not just sitting in a pew and some group of people among some group of people that might bear a scriptural name. What fruit do you individually produce? And, and, the congregation you're part of, remember in Revelation 2 and 3, being a, a member of a congregation in error puts you in error. You don't want to have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness like we read in Ephesians 5.11. So what does the fruit say? What kind of tree are you and what kind of vineyard are you planted in? The Lord's or the devil's? In Galatians chapter 5, you have another contrasting context. The Works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. Galatians 5, 19 through 24. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which, I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, that is, you belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. 
It's like, that's your past. That goes back to Romans 6, 21 and 22. That's your past. What fruit had you in the past? It's not your present. Being the good tree, in Luke chapter 6, 43 through 46, a good tree bringeth forth not corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush they gather grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And then Jesus asked this question, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? What about you? You know, when you look at a tree, and you look at the roots and where it's planted, remember when we were looking at some of the illustrations uh, in Jeremiah 17, 5 and 8, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, we we're talking about the tree planted by the waters. Well, look to the root. Well, we as people, we look within, internal, right? And Psalm 37, 30 and 31 says, The mouth of the righteous, righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. What's inside? What's going on in me internally? That, that goes back to what we read in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Meditate. In the law of the Lord, night and day, the law is in my heart. Why? I'm thinking about it, pondering it. I'm turning it over in my mind. The parable of the sower. Among the soils, Luke 8, 15 says that on the good ground are they, right? Think, think about what we're about to read. Are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Where's my fruit production start? Within. Back to that context in Romans 6, we talked about measuring what fruit came from the sinful past versus the righteous present. Same context, Romans 6, 17, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Where am I internally? If I'm having a fruit problem, I've got, I've got to think back to our, our Lord's illustration there in Luke 13, 6 through 9, where the dresser of the vineyard wasn't seeing fruit, and the Lord said, dig about it and dung it. I need to dig in. I need to fertilize. I need to figure out how can I bring forth fruit, not just externally look like it, but make the internal changes to be truly fruitful and the way that my Lord expects. In Hebrews 3.12, contextually, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, talking about whose house you are, verses 1 through 6, and then looking back in the days where Israel provoked uh, God and had to wander in the wilderness 40 years, going into chapter 4 with the same point in the midst of that context, says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, we talked about the internal audit well, here's where other people could be helpful to you. This is one of the areas where faithful brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be very helpful to us because the very next verse says, but exhort one another daily. This is Hebrews 3.13. Exhort one another daily. Why does it called the daily? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. So I look at myself, but I want my brethren to look at me too. Do you ever talk to your brethren? Ask them about what they see, what they're thinking, what's going on. Our actions show 
who we are and whose we are. You know, when you think about what we just read in Romans 6, 17, that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart. Were and are, two differences. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And then later in that same context, different chapter, chapter 3 and verse 7, but same context, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. What does the fruit say? Where are you? What is being shown based upon what you do when you examine yourself, when you look at your fruit? Who do you belong to based on your fruit? Or are you outside of Christ and all the fruit that you're bringing forth is useless because you're outside of him, like we read in John 15, 1 through 11. So what do you do here? What do you do? You don't just examine and then say, oh, well, no. In Matthew 21, think about what our Lord does here in verses 28 through 32. He says, what think ye? A certain man had two sons. Came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of the twain did the will of the Father? They say unto him the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go in the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of the righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe in him. Oh, think about the weight of what Jesus just said. The tax collectors and the harlots. <laughs> They're going to the kingdom before you. That, that is... People that were known to be crooks, and well, I don't think you need me to explain a harlot to you. Well, why were they going to be able to go to the kingdom before any of these people ever would? Why Jesus used such a sharp contrast? Look at how bad these people are. Well, you think you're good, but look at how bad they are because they changed. They changed at the preaching of God's will. And you didn't. What does your fruit say? When you hear the word of God, do you just dismiss it? Do you get angry about it? Now, I know that's a common response, and that's not new. The prophets were hated, they were misused, they were abused. Second Chronicles 36, 14 through 16. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of the reasons the world hated him because light exposes darkness, John 3, 19 through 21. Paul to Christians who were in error, said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's Galatians 4 and verse 16. So whether it's of old, new, and even now, the reaction of people when they hear the word of God sometimes is to hate the messenger. It's not to say, wait a minute. The messenger's giving me the right information. I need to do something about it. Yeah, that, that's, that's what it is. You need to do something about it. When you look at, at, at the teaching in the New Testament, whether it's John the Baptist before Jesus started teaching or the apostles afterwards, the message is to repent and then be productive. In Matthew 3 and verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. John the baptizer teaching. Paul in Acts 26, when he's talking about his work as an apostle, as a teacher, 
and verse 20 of Acts 26 showed them first to Damascus, at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. So listen, to all people. Sometimes there are people that think uh, Paul was just preaching to the Gentiles. No, when you read the book of Acts, he went into synagogues, spoke to the Jews, etc. Yes, he had a primary work among Gentiles more than the other apostles, but he didn't just preach to Gentiles. Hear this again. Show them first to Damascus, Jerusalem, and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. It's because there's one gospel, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because the gospel was first preached to the Jews, you see that very clearly, Acts 9, 1 through 9, then to the Gentiles, Acts 10, 1 through 11, 18. And from that point forward, as the commission was to go into all the world, to all the world, repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. Well, what's going to come forth from works that are in Christ? Good fruit. We've been studying that, right? And the book of Revelation the church in Ephesus has erred. That is a congregation that began in Acts 19. You can read the sixth chapter epistle called the book of Ephesians. But by the time John writes the revelation of Jesus Christ, that congregation was busy doing work. I, you really need to think about this. I, I don't know that a lot of people spend enough time thinking about this. This was not a, a dead congregation they were working. I want you to listen to what's said. I'm going to begin in Revelation 2, 1. It says, Unto the angel, and what that means is messenger, of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And chapter 1, that means this, this message is from Jesus. So Jesus says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. So they're working, laboring, and enduring. It says, And how thou canst bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and has found them liars. So they're upholding the truth, exposing error, testing teachers. They're not dead in the sense of doing nothing. But listen, they're unfruitful. Well, how do you know that? Continue with me. And verse 3 has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. So they haven't gotten tired. They haven't gotten weary and well-doing, Galatians 6, 9. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's like, hey, you're doing good works, but you're not fruitful. Why? Because they're not done in love. You have to repent or the Lord's going to remove them as a congregation among his people. That's, that's a powerful lesson. You can be busy. You can be doing good works, the right works, being complimented by Jesus Christ, but still lost. That's a whole congregation, not one individual. Whole congregation. They have left their first love. That's like the loveless marriage. The illustration that comes to my mind is, 
you know, when, when you think of a marriage, man goes to work, wife's at home, um, t taking care of the kids, doing all the wonderful things that are in the ideal home, the way the Bible teaches, the husband comes home from work, let's say, even though it's very rare in our day that he's got that nine to five job, he comes home and, and dinner's on the table and he kisses his wife and they sit down and they have dinner as a family and then he reads the newspaper. I know nobody does that, right? Uh, or very few people likely actually have a physical newspaper nowadays. Um, but just for my illustration, just, just use your imagination here, right? From the outset, that sounds wonderful. But what if it's a loveless marriage? They're just going through the motions. That was the church in Ephesus. A loveless marriage, just going through the motions. From a picture looking in a window, everything looks good. But what's going on inside isn't producing fruit in the home. And you might look down the road and you might see that those children grow up not feeling loved by their mother and their father. Yes, mama cooked and cleaned and mama did this and daddy did that, but they didn't, they didn't get the love. They didn't get the natural affection. And that fruit doesn't get shown till way down the road. We don't want to be the people of Ephesus. You want to grow. You want to keep growing. Think about fruit trees. The reason the illustrations in the Bible, Old and New Testament, because they keep growing, right? Keep producing. And 2 Peter chapter 1 says, verses 3 through 11, According as divine power given unto us all things pertaining to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, the patience, godliness, the godliness, brotherly kindness, the brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For also shall entrance be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you grow, you will not be barren. You will be fruitful. If you grow, you will be productive. You will be that tree planted by the waters. Just make sure you're fruitful in the right things. You know, when Paul's talking to the church in Colossae, says that you might, in Colossians 1.10, says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There are a lot of people out there doing works. And from a carnal standpoint, they appear to be good, but they're not authorized by the Lord. Remember why we have the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction righteous, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Good works are those which our Lord has authorized. Not just because they appear religious, but because our Lord has called them good. 
There are a lot of works out there being done in the name of Christ that he never said to do. Let's, let me give you one illustration. Uh, man has gone out and created religious schools. Did you notice that Jesus never told the apostles and the apostles never told the people to go out and start religious schools? Not once. Why? What's that mean? It means it's not a good work. That's simple. That's simple. Make sure you're doing the good works. Be a tree planted by the waters. To save the tree, once you, if you need to turn to God, or if you're already there, if you're already in Christ, you have to keep on. You can't just say, I have produced fruit two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I have unfortunately seen people fall away in their later years because they reached an age that they thought they could spiritually retire. I want you to hear two verses out of Titus 3, and then we'll wrap up. Titus 3.8, and then Titus 3.14 says this. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Verse 14. Let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. That is wonderfully stated. The scriptures are our best source all the time, every time. And it can't be said any better than what Paul said to Titus. Hope you've benefited from this uh, lesson. Hope you'll continue to listen. Go back and listen to the ones you might have missed. Uh, sometimes I build on points of teaching, as the scriptures do as well. Sometimes when you jump in midway, you miss some things we talked about before. I hope you go back and listen. If you have questions, listen, do, do me and you a favor. Call me up. My phone number is 915, that's my area code, 525-5794. I live in El Paso, Texas in the United States of America. If you're anywhere near me, I'd be more than willing to meet with you in person. And if you're not near me and it's necessary, we'll try to figure out a way for that to happen anyway. Well, there's other ways we can communicate too more immediately. To over the phone, over Skype. Most of the world can communicate through the internet over things like Skype. Uh, you can email me, brian at wordstruth.net, but I'd rather talk to you because things get missed in writing. And sometimes people ask a question, then they ask another question, and then I answer those questions and then... Some of the answers get lost because people tend to focus just on one thing. It's much better just to talk, okay? It'd be a nice, friendly, great conversation. The way I teach is, here's the truth. You can take it or leave it. I won't argue back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm not saying I don't mind you pushing back. You need to test all things, First Thessalonians 5.21. You can press me on things, you know, ask me to prove things. I'm more than willing to do that, but we won't get into an argument. We won't go down those roads. We'll just have a Bible discussion. I'd love to help you. I'd love to, to know that you're listening to these podcasts and benefiting from them. Send me a text message or something. Let me know, hey, I'm enjoying the podcast. I, I need to know those things from time to time. I'd really appreciate uh, the feedback. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune in Tuesday. Uh, if all things go according to plan, that'll be our next podcast. Thank you.